and welcome to the Disability Education and Society podcast. This is a podcast for collective learning and unlearning in the struggle for intersectional liberation. We focus on educational realms expanding to other societal areas. We share our stories as academics as well as those of our featured guests, including disability activists involved with multifaceted dimensions of systems equity, self-determination efforts, anti-ableist, and anti-racist liberation. Join us as co-conspirators. For this episode, we continue the conversation with Dr. Perry. Dr. Perry is a senior lecturer in disability studies at Eastern Washington University. He received his PhD in disability studies from the University of Illinois in Chicago with a certificate in gender and women's studies in spring 2014. His research and teaching focus on the implications of moments in which the meaning of disability and our relation to it is an open question. Outside of academia, he was an active member of the disability community in Spokane, Washington. I was wondering, like, what you mentioned about targeting and how going back to you know my the question I asked earlier uh, about like you know how how people might see these targeting acts as like very innocent and I'm talking about non-disabled people here I'm saying like well that seems like a good idea like uh, that's very well intentioned I want to pray for you right I want to take a picture so that you will inspire other disabled folks so that that again it's a big contrast I feel like I mean on one hand we're talking about targeting we're talking about harms on the other hand we're talking about this really innocent very well-intentioned sort of acts if you will so I I guess I'm just wondering right if you if you want to say more about how how you know how different those two viewpoints are in 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 this conversation about like how ableism feels right like because a non-disabled person will not feel ableism they feel something else and it's it's again for me very different (laughs) Than, than this this harm that you're sharing. Well, uh, yeah, well, I think that's one of the, I don't know if that's all this discussion of praying, but um, these are the words I'm going to use. One of ableism's greatest tricks is to convince you that it doesn't exist. Um, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm half joking, but no, I think that's true too, or accurate, right? In writing, in his, in his thinking, the event that I mentioned earlier, Francois Rassoul uh, identifies at least three ways that events have been watered down in philosophy. And that's beyond you know, our discussion right now. But he, one of them is he says, well, what happens is we, we, we experience events, we big moments or moments that have lasting ripples to life, meaningful moments, like whatever they are, we neuter them. But by explaining them away as mm. saying, well, it's a matter of cause and effect, or it's personal. Uh, it's this happened, to, you know, it, when we say, why did this happen to me? Or why did he or she or they do that, say this? Mm-hmm. Um, and in response to your question, Paolo, um, 
if and when we get wrapped up in, well, now that person was well-intentioned. They didn't mean anything bad by it. Well, who cares? That is, and we all, we all say this, like not everybody is my mother, but that's exactly what she said. One thing, Ryan, that I'm thinking in terms of the eventfulness of the event, right, is in this case, you have two instances where agency is trampled. Uh, I think part of the answer to Paolo's question is, what's the problem with these innocent acts? Well, both of them are assuming that you as a person are incomplete because you have a disability. So just by being cured, you'll be yourself. You'll be truly human. It's almost like mm -hmm. it's denying your humanity. And so the prayer is going to make you whole, make you human. In the other case, the assumption is, well, there is all these other folks with disabilities who are worse than you. And I'm gonna take away your agency because I think my messianic um, role as an able person, right? As a, somebody who's non-disabled. I wanna use you and I don't care if you want to, but I do wanna use your picture to do my thing. Hmm. They, they are not really assuming, you know, they are not asking, are you interested in help me pursue this mission that I have, whatever. Mm -hmm. They're imposing their mission on you, right? Because as non-disabled, they, they know better. You as a disabled person don't even know how useful your picture could be. The, the non-disabled right. nurse knows that. You, you cannot know that. So the, the issue of agency and even the sense of humanity is at stake in this eventfulness of, of events that seem, seem innocent and become part of the everyday experience of what, what kids go through, what adults with disabilities go through everywhere. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's just quite interesting. It is. And I think that is, that is why I try hard to identify these moments that seem so innocent or well-intentioned because those are exactly, you know, if we let them have, if we don't stop and consider them, everything just keeps rolling along. When you said that you've been stopped and prayed for and, and accused of having little or no faith when you refuse the prayer, you know, it's, it's interesting, right? That, well, it's your lack of faith must be the problem, not the fact that you do not want to be a different way. That's unimaginable. It must be. You don't think it'll work. I'm proud of being disabled. I mean, that's something that, right. that they cannot take. No, no, God, God meant you to be a sighted person. Right. You cannot be blind because if you're blind, you, you are violating God's purpose or something. I mean, it's so right. disability in itself becomes part of the almost like a sinful thing that goes against what, what God intended and whatever. I mean, all that stuff. Right. And not just that, oh, I guess it is. No, it has to be. Mm -hmm. It has to be interpreted as that. Right. Because there are no other options. I am thinking, Paulo, that this this is a good moment to go down into some of the questions that you wanted to ask that are more tangible in terms of, of what people in the audience who are not so inclined to do the philosophical approaches <laughs> to this would be kind of interested. Um, so what, why don't we take some of your questions, Paulo? I, I really do appreciate both of your thoughts about 
these issues and and again as as someone who I, I don't identify I identify as non-disabled person still trying to learn about ableism and I think this idea like the the, the feeling of ableism and, and I think that really kind of helps to put some texture into this concept of ableism and so I, I'm I'm wondering too as as coming from a uh, teacher educator background and as well as a parent of a disabled person I'm, I'm wondering about like Ryan what what you would say to like educators I mean a, a lot of this podcast is about education we've I feel like we've learned so much I've learned quite a bit in this uh, very brief conversations that we we've had here so I'm wondering Ryan what would you say to educators and parents um, who want to introduce this idea of relational ableism in the way they interact with their students in in K to twelve classrooms, or even higher education, or children that they they care for. At EWU, I've had the chance to work with uh, many pre-service teachers. I, I would say to listeners or viewers, the same thing I would say to them is: learn all you can, become experts at your jobs. But remember, right when it comes to students and their experiences, well, they're the experts. And, and be careful not to misinterpret what's going on. So I'm reminded of another concrete experience I had growing up in first grade. My daughter just finished first grade, so I, I was on the lookout to help her avoid my experiences. And then I realized that she was never going to have those experiences because she's not disabled. But I, in, in my first grade, you know, I visually, but I could not see the blackboard even from the front row of the classroom. So for some reason, my teacher decided, well, the, the solution to this problem is to put my desk right in front of the board, right against the wall. <laughs> and it's like being in the front row at the movie theater. It's way too close. <laughs> um, so it didn't serve that goal at all. And obviously it it literally physically and in every way made me stand out or stick out from the other students in the room. If you look at it one way, it's possible that that teacher thought she was doing the right thing or a good thing. Honestly, I don't think she did think that. I believe she was trying to, I don't even have a word for it, um, be a jerk. But regardless, it could be argued, well, no, 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 she didn't know. We didn't have uh, ADA best practices in the early 80s. You know, she didn't know she was trying her best. Maybe, but where in that situation, where in that room, was ableism and it was everywhere. And if I had been invited to say, well, this doesn't help, sitting in front of the board is almost worse than sitting, you know, 10 feet from the board. What I really need to do is is be able to get up and, and come up and, and, and look at what's been written down or or whatever, you know, using that banking approach or exchange economy of education. Um, and not an, a collaborative one where students and teachers can figure out together how to do things, which would have been nice. Um, I've, got a, I've got a student 
uh, right now doing the disability studies minor who wants to be, I think she wants to be a math educator, which Paolo, I think you have some experience with. That's right. And she's fantastic because she's learning everything about math, about teaching math. And she's doing a lot of her work that she's doing for the minor is about addressing the explicit and, and implicit concerns or concernedness of pre-service teachers. So for instance, she's found studies of pre-service teachers saying, well, we're, we're nervous about working with disabled students. We're not going to be ready. We're not going to be prepared. And so some responses to that have been, well, here's what we need to do for those teachers is give them all the information about diabetes or celiac or <laughs> particular impairments, and that will make them less nervous. And my contribution to her education has been to respond to those kinds of things by saying, well, now, how do we know that part of the concern these pre-service teachers are feeling is an ableism? rather than saying, here's all the information about particular impairments. Well, how is having that information going to make you a better teacher in the classroom? Probably it's not. But if we can work to address and then redress ableism in the classroom, within the, in, in the people, you know, that can lead to concrete changes. What kinds of concrete changes? I don't know. I don't necessarily know all of them. Maybe there's, of course, there's more or less successful ways of doing things, of organizing, planning, of setting up the room. And that's terrific. But almost more fundamentally, right, is to be okay with not knowing, not being the expert on part of the classroom. Even if that part is a particular student with an impairment, or the fact that any student could have an impairment. You, know, you, can, you can do a very accessible classroom, even if no disabled students enter it. It's still accessible, right? And it's still going to matter and make a difference for whoever is in the room. I, I think what, you, what I hear you saying is to position disabled students as experts in looking at you shared your first grade experience as that there's an expert right there a first grader who can tell you a lot of things about what is wrong with doing certain things and so mm -hmm. like I think that's a really I feel like a very anti-ableist and very concrete way like for suggestion for teachers so thank you for that thank you I I always worry because it it doesn't feel concrete to me so I'm I'm glad to hear that it might be Thank you for the question. Hi there. While we intend to make our podcast as accessible as possible, we ask those that have the financial means to support us by subscribing as a patron to our podcast for as little as $5 a month. To subscribe, go to our website, disabilityed.podbean.com. By subscribing as a patron, you will help ensure that we can continue to create and share new episodes while supporting other co-conspirators who face financial and health difficulties. For those with financial difficulties, please connect with us about obtaining a free copy of our books and or engaging in additional conversations with us. 
You can also support the show by hitting the follow button, share this podcast with Among Your Network, and leave us a comment and positive rating. Your support means so much. Yeah, and I think it, it extends to my next question, which is a broader question. These folks with disability as experts idea connected to the sentipensante stuff we were talking before. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how do you think that could move forward the disability justice movement, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of how we approach disability justice, both as disabled folks and also working with allies who, who are non-disabled, uh, having a more relational sentipensante approach to ableism and disability, how do you think it can help move forward the needle on that? Well, first, I think it's important to remember that as we're working together and with allies, we're also working with opponents. I point that out because I think we forget that, you know, we, we know it, obviously, but I think that that's exactly where Sante Pensar or Sante Pensante relational ontology uh, comes in because with that, we're able to frame the issue differently, right? We're not saying, we're not just saying, don't think this, don't do this, don't feel that way. Mm. Yeah, we are, but that's never going to work. You can't just say, hey, racist, don't be racist, probably. I wish that was that easy, but you can, well, even that, you can't say, hey, racist, your approach is dehumanizing because they know that. Um, That's the point of it. So how, okay, Alexis, I'm going to ask you and Paolo, how, how do we animate, activate disability justice in a way that it targets the people and and ways of relating that need to be adjusted while bringing together the people, peoples, and ways of relating that need to be bolstered. I know I've just asked you a question, but now let me answer answer it. Um, I, I think there's a lot of value simply in saying, hey, disability and ableism, none of it is just something that can be pointed to and defined definitively for once and for all and then and then addressed and fixed right because just as we just as i don't want somebody to come and try to pray my blindness or visual impairment away to fix it if i could just fix ableism with the flick of a switch well there's no even i almost i mean i would want that to happen but what's valuable the work the effort is what matters right for the teachers in the classroom trying something and succeeding or not is more important than not doing anything or even i would say being perfect right away sorry to answer your question and then my question right i think or i feel it's realizing that all of this is about intentional and intentionally being work in progress. And I don't know if this answers your question, but I'm thinking of the issue of compliance, Um, ADA Mm -hmm. compliance, ADA, Mm -hmm. IDEA compliance. A lot Mm -hmm. of people think that because we have a Civil Rights Act that prohibits racism, 
you know, it, it does away, it, it already created a better society when in fact, you know, compliance at the legal level is probably the most superficial of these dimensions. And sometimes when people do it with a lot of ableist sentiments, the ADA compliance portion of things can backfire in workplaces and, um, you know, in many other environments. So I think it's an interesting point that you bring up, the value of, of always working, always knowing that there is effort ahead that is not a, a magic bullet that's going to fix things. Yeah, I, I always frame it in terms of, I always say it's, it's, it's about ethics, not etiquette. Mm -hmm. Like you're saying, the last thing I would want, or I think we want, is a checklist. That's what they use in a lot of the IDEA mm -hmm. context. And a lot of the, the, the teachers that are listening to us know that what the committee does in those rooms when they have IEP meetings, the uh, individual education program meetings for IDEA, is they, they just go through that checklist and not so much about the symbolism of relational things that could be changed to do away with the ablest, right? The ablest atmosphere that's really harming uh, the students' progress or those kinds of things, right? I really like what you said, Ryan, about this idea like yeah of progress and how we and it made me think about uh, robin dg kelly's notion about freedom dreams where there's that that it criticizes that we always judge the plan if you will by its success uh, we don't judge it by its merit. And so I, I feel like that's been going back to what Alexis talked about with individualized education programs. I mean, it's always about like, well, how do we measure success? Can we get to this point? Can we do this? If we can't, it's not worth <laughs> doing. Uh, right. and, and it's been like my experience that that's, it's always about like, can we do it? And, and, and if we can't do it, it's not even worth doing it. Can we show that we're doing it? Can we show that we're making progress? And so this idea of like the merits and the ethics, I think that's, I think that's so important to, to highlight um, about this work of ableism, of, of working against ableism. Well, I thank you. I need to, and you'll have to tell me later that author, because I, I don't know that I know them, but I want to. But like similarly, I've, I've taught med students. They have said, now, not con I'm going to make it sound confrontational. It wasn't said that way. But they'll say, well, how is this going to make me a better doctor? Mm. And, and I, I realized pretty quickly, I don't know. I, I absolutely can't point to the times and places where the things you're learning here are going to have absolute concrete measurable value for your your doctoring but i'll tell you that it will and i know that that's the case for for teachers for all kinds of all kinds of people and that's okay exactly like you were saying well if it's going to is it going to work and if so when where and how if we can't answer that we shouldn't even do it. No, maybe we we should. Maybe we should do it even more because we can't 
know when and where it'll make a difference, but we know that it will, or it, it might. I mean, that's the thing. It might make a difference. It has to matter, it has to have value because you just don't know what is, what could, what's going to stick. I don't know. Right. Thank you, Ryan. We're getting to the end of our time, but um, Paula is going to ask you a couple of questions so that we can uh, wrap up these these uh, reflections that, that we've been having today. I, I really think what you have said so far uh, is, is really powerful and very practical, it seems to me, uh, even, even though um, at the beginning, you know, a lot of people may may have been wondering, you know, what, what's this philosophical stuff mm-hmm. is going to to help me when it comes to yeah, teaching or doing HR work or doing tangible things like the medicine realities or the nursing realities that mm-hmm. they experience. So thank you. Yeah, I think this is a very uh, profound conversation, and I I'm hoping that. Ryan, if you want to share maybe one or two things that like you took away from this conversation and you want our listeners to take away as 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 again we wrap up our conversation that i'm 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 sad that it's ending, but i I'm hoping <laughs> that we can have some sort of tangible things that people will say oh this this is something that um I feel like this is uh, you know, there are many great things, but if you could just point to one or two from from your own reflection. Sure. Well, this is secretly, this is my backdoor attempt to become a co-host of the podcast. <laughs> um, um, I've, I've always wanted to do a podcast, and I really appreciate that you both think that this has actionable legs to it, um, because I get so wrapped up in the theory and the abstraction and the thinking and feeling and the, all of that. And as much as I love the idea of, oh, it's about ethics, not etiquette. We're not trying to check off boxes. I still think, well, well what are we going to have to show for it? And how are we going to be able to demonstrate that it's useful and good and, you know, all of this? And that you're both responding with, well, no, we can. It's, it is it is useful um, and does have value. I just appreciate that. I think, I guess the, the real takeaway then, right, is well, don't give up and keep trying. At the same time, to build off of what you were saying, Paolo, right, perhaps the issue isn't the figuring out how to get to a particular destination, but rather refiguring how do we start that journey and so i'm reminded of i had had a colleague come to me with teachers in training who were encountering in a in a composition class two students who were probably on the autism spectrum and were, were verbal but not overly so not terribly outgoing to be to be accurate and they wanted to know well what can we do better what can we do differently? Do I, do I have any tips or tricks for them to get these students to participate more? And, and we had a conversation and we realized that what they think they're doing is giving them their students opportunities to participate in class. And we kind of realized together what they were doing is giving them 
opportunities to participate in particular ways mm. that were not led by those students. And don't get me wrong, I don't think it's disabled learners' responsibility to know how they learn best, especially not younger people. Um, you know, you can't say young person take the lead. They don't, they don't know. But you you can in a way, right? But um we realized that there were there were ways to build in or bake in participation potential in different ways. Uh, in this case, it was digital alternate format, um, excuse me, virtual alternate format modalities. And I don't know if it actually worked with those students or not, but leaving that conversation, we all thought it could. Having that new starting point seems to have made a difference. Love that idea. Thank you so much, Ryan, of this new starting points. And as we close out, uh, if folks want to find more about your work, is there any other avenues that your work shows up that they can follow up with you? No, <laughs> but I'm, but I'm, but I'm working on it. Um, um, I uh, well, you can you can become uh, you can like the EWU Disability Studies uh, Facebook page. I my plan is to get us active on Instagram and Threads and I guess Twitter and and social media um, in more get us more active on there. As far as my work, I've got some essays in, in Disability Studies Quarterly and the Journal of Literary and Cultural Disability Studies. I've got an essay there that specific that more that spends more time with this with this ethics, not etiquette idea, specifically in classrooms. Um, that might be worth looking into. We'll be sure to link those to the show notes so that Right. our listeners can have access to those as well so thank you so much ryan uh, we really appreciate the time and all of your thoughts and that you shared with us today thank Thanks, you ryan. so much thank you both it was great really great to meet you paolo and i hope i hope we'll be in touch in the future so much for engaging with the DES podcast. We post new episodes every few weeks. The DES podcast is made possible and sustainable in solidarity with you and those who generously volunteer their time to converse with us. We hope you join us on our next episode.